0: This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm.
1: Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM.
0: Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 17 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are going to be recapping our look at J.J. Abrams' work as a feature film director. Uh, he made four movies so far, with the fifth one on the way. And, uh, yeah, we'll just uh, go through movie by movie and give our thoughts.
1: His next movie is Super 9, right?
0: That's exactly what it is. That's what I thought it was. Yes. That's thought it was. So his first movie came in 2006, and that was Mission Impossible 3. Yes, his first
1: directed movie, yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, what... What were your thoughts on Mission Impossible 3?
1: I thought it was a fairly forgettable action movie. Like a lot of things that I, I, I wouldn't be talking about it had it not been for people continually talking about it. Mm-hmm. I don't complain about forgettable action movies from six years ago on a regular basis Eight. because nobody talks about them anymore. Yeah. That one keeps coming up because you keep talking about it because J.J. Abrams keeps doing things despite not really ever blowing me away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, he, this was the first time, movie-wise, that he had blown me away. I, I was very impressed by Mission Impossible 3. I said it was the best movie of 2006, and I, I maintained that. Uh, I think that it's um, extremely well done um, as far as an action movie is concerned, Nothing like revolutionary, but there there's sort of this like workman like uh um precision and craft, you know, associated with this movie which reminded me a lot of uh movies from like the the eighties and stuff and nineties that, that you know I kinda grew up with like Spielberg and McTiernan sort of things, you know? Where it was just like this is how you tell a story in an action setting, you know. I was very impressed by this movie, needless to say. And um, it's, in a lot of ways, I think, uh, superior to uh, even my my favorite of his movies, which is Star Trek from 2009. Yeah. This was his follow-up. You know, um, we talked a little bit about how, Both of them were produced by Paramount, and Paramount was very happy with the way that Mission Impossible 3 turned out. So they handed over uh, the Star Trek franchise to Abrams, and and this was his his second film. Uh, It rebooted the franchise, obviously, in sort of a, a clever fashion.
1: That's a word you use.
0: And what are your thoughts on Star Trek 09?
1: It's a fairly forgettable action movie.
0: Yeah. I
1: mean, it might... Count as Star Trek, but it's not anywhere close to what Star Trek does best. And it's actually, I find it actually rather sad that Star Trek is in a position now that the best it can do is a fairly forgettable action movie.
0: See, I don't think that that's the best that Star Trek can do. That's (laughs) no, the best that it can do now. Right, I know what you're saying, and I don't think that that is the best that it can do now. I think that, you know, what it's doing now is making action movies, but I mean, the best that it could do before, let's say in the next-gen era, the best that it could do was what? Let's just say all good things, right? Okay, just, as, just as, a, as an example. And yet that didn't stop them from making Nemesis, an insurrection, you know? that no, was, it didn't that wasn't the best that they could do at the time that's just what they did at the time so like i don't see any reason why even if you didn't like star trek 09 which i did like i don't see any reason why it can't do better while still being a big summer blockbuster action movie
1: i don't think you're aware that i'm what i'm saying is not that they can't do it i'm saying But they're not going to because they don't need to. If the bar that has to be cleared is... People will come to see it and buy tickets. And it will not be torn to shreds by the critical community. Then that's the bar that they'll clear. And they're not going to shoot higher than that. And that's just because that's just the way the world works. If you can do something... Successfully, you're not going to change it just because you want to do better. Especially not with a franchise that is basically a, an intellectual property. It's an IP that has a dollar value attached to it. And as long as that dollar value is the most important thing, it will not be challenging. And that's just because that's the way the world works. And it's definitely the way the studio system works. And it is without question the way J.J. J. Abrams works.
0: Okay. Well, I don't agree with, with that's how J.J. J. Abrams works. I don't agree with it being not challenging. And while I do agree that what you're saying applies to the studio... And it applies not just to Star Trek, but every other intellectual property in existence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think that uh, the people making this movie do not adhere to that; those low standards. You know, the people making the movie genuinely want to make something great. And, you know, especially, you know, where you got like Roberto Orsi in there, who is a huge Star Trek fan himself. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he wants to make the best Star Trek he can.
1: I think it's entirely possible that a lot of people want to do something great. And I think that it's bizarrely naive to assume that just because people want to, that it will eventually get there. Because the reality is that these are not movies made by one, two, or even a hundred people. It's made by many, many people over many years, and no matter what any individual wants to do, it's not going to be something other than what it must be.
0: But it can be something more than what it must be. Yes, This is something but which we've seen happen time and again. I mean, the Dark night yes, is something more than what it must be. Yes, it is. <clears throat> and it's largely
1: because it didn't, it didn't have the burden that Star Trek had at the time. And Star Trek is, is a complicated property. The Part of the problem is that the fans are very weird about the, about the continuity and about the world and about the franchise. And I think a really serious problem exists when the fans' response to Star Trek 2009 is, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't wrong. It wasn't incorrect. It didn't make the errors that people were afraid of. It was faithful to the continuity, and it didn't break anything that came before it. That's really a a sad
0: state of affairs when that's considered to be successful. Okay, I don't know which fans you're talking to, but I mean, I think the general amongst the fans these days is that star trek 9 was okay it was fun in the same way that something like first contact was fun but that it wasn't great trek and that star trek into darkness was a bad movie that's what i i see happening amongst most hardcore fans obviously there are exceptions i'm an sure
1: exception. I, I i'm not talking about I'm not talking about the the idea of like what what they thought of it. I'm saying that, at the point Star Trek was before 2009, Star Trek was was sort of um, it had it had receded as just franchise tend to do. It had become sort of dominated by its history, and it like basically had the sort of the Marvel Comics sort of environment where its history was its strength and also its burden. Mm-hmm. And it like the the fans that had existed. Um, we're not going away, but because it's just the way it works, the franchise has to add new fans in order for it to survive, so in order to bring in new fans, the the rejuvenation was required, and that's just happened to Star Trek before. It happened in 19, 1979. It's a thing. You have to occasionally reinvent the thing in order to bring new people in, and this reinvention was an opportunity to do some very serious things about Star Trek and to handle some issues that had come up in the past 30 years or so. And instead of being honest about it and purging the problems and reaffirming its qualities, it actually kind of edged around all of those issues by not really challenging the problems of Star Trek and not embracing its strengths, essentially by dodging Star Trek's biggest problems and biggest resources.
0: Okay, I don't agree that it dodged those things. I think that maybe it could have utilized them a bit bit better, but I also think that in terms of uh, addressing its greatest weaknesses, I think it totally did that, and I think that it, it, it improved its greatest weakness. Um, by leaps and bounds. And
1: I disagree on what that weakness is. Well, I'm sure Because, you I mean, your argument is that its greatest weakness was essentially it's its modernity, it's it being in some way stodgy. Yeah,
0: it's formal quality. And while well, that might definitely be a, a, a quantifiable problem from a financial stance. It's not just that. It's totally not just that. It's, it's that in, in the sense of, like, in the mid-'90s, You know, I'm sitting there watching Star Trek, uh, having been a huge fan of Next Generation and, and Deep Space Nine, and feeling an obligation, more than anything, to continue to watch this show, and then flipping the channel to, say, something like The Sopranos, and being like, why am I even bothering watching Star Trek? Because it's not even trying to be relevant. You know what I mean? It's not even trying to keep up with the latest innovations and the latest uh, um, improvements that have been made to television. And I think that you would agree that television made huge strides in the 90s and aughts and and became, you know, in many ways superior to film. Sure, but I would also make a
1: very serious, significant criticism of that problem by saying that if in order to ascend to a modern formal environment you have to throw away the qualities that made this thing good despite that formal stodginess and that is what we're talking about here like that is what is going on Star Trek was a show that was critical and and was in a lot of ways rebellious and it was not afraid to alienate people, who were not willing to go along.
0: Yeah. See, here's the difference, and this is something which you know I brought up on that commentary, and in, in which you know I've sort of been fighting against, you know, every step of the way. Which is like, it's not an either or thing. Yes, it did have some problems that you're talking about. Okay, it did. It did. What's
1: well, not an either or thing?
0: Well, like what you're saying is that. In order to achieve those formal qualities, it had to throw out these other things. Oh, I'm it, not saying that it had it to. It didn't. But I'm you, saying that okay, it did. Okay, but I'm not saying, I, I'm saying that it didn't do that in order to achieve that. I'm saying that both of those things happened, and they were independent of each other.
1: I, I, I would say that that's entirely possible, and I don't. I don't feel the need to argue which came first, or which, which was the progenitor of the following thing. What I'm saying is that when you are working in a franchise that has qualities, if you are trying to repair or transcend some particular quality problem, that's... That's, that's a perfectly fine thing to do, and it's perfectly acceptable to throw out things that are problematic in order to get there. But in that process, if you also, parallel to that, throw out a quality of this thing in, in order to do anything else, even if they're completely unrelated, the worst thing to do is take out
0: that thing's uniqueness, Okay, now I would disagree that it takes out that thing's uniqueness. I think that, I I really, really do think that people are comparing essentially one, now two movies, to 724 things that came before it, or however many there were exactly, I mean, just just to give, just, oh, no, 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 just I, to give a, a I, I'm,
1: I'm, hold on, hold on. I'm not going. I'm not lumping myself in here with other people who criticize these movies for whatever reason. Because <clears> okay, I would con- but, but conclude is, that is, it is, also fits for first contact, yeah, Nemesis, and that's what I was going to say.
0: That's what I was going to say here. Okay, let's let's do this. Ignore everything about the movie except for the script. Okay, that's the only thing we're talking about right now. Sure. Okay. Do you think that, okay, and and I know some of these are going to be obvious, okay, but I'm just going to go through the franchise. Do you think that Star Trek 09 is better written than the motion picture? No. Wrath of Khan. Oh, God, no. I know. Like I said, I'm just going through. Okay. Search for Spock. Yes. Voyage Home.
1: Mm, How about even.
0: Final Frontier no interesting undiscovered country no generations no uh first and, contact yeah it's, uh, mm, that's about the same insurrection about the same and nemesis
1: very slightly better
0: okay. So I mean, what we're we're seeing here is just I mean, there's a, a larger sample, and obviously there's some huge, you know, outliers like the Nicholas Meyer movies, which mm-hmm. I would agree, are better written than Star Trek O Nine, mm-hmm. but, you know, I mean, I I know that you'd probably say that those other movies were poorly written. I would disagree. I mean, to me, I think that Star what Trek other movies are poorly written. like. Uh, search for spock you know and and first contact and insurrection
1: Mm, poorly written is a very vague term i think it's more complicated than
0: that okay but you know i i i enjoy well i do enjoy all of those movies i mean but i think that you know some of those movies are extremely well written and yet, I also think that Star Trek: Oh Nine is written better than those movies.
1: I think that, that there's a unidirectional like quality to this, which is like like the the criticism of a thing on one level. And I think it's more complicated than that, because while there is there's from an engineering point of view, the engineering of a script, the engineering of a story, uh, it that complexity varies greatly, but there are instances where the engineering of the story might be rather complicated and rather nuanced, and you must conclude that the people who are responsible for it are quite clever, but the engineering that they have done is the production of something that is destructive. And no matter how difficult or complicated or nuanced the script of Star Trek III is, it is ultimately a weapon.
0: Yeah, I mean, I disagree with that analysis completely. You know, I think that that's, you know, overstating what it is. And I think it is a force for good. And whether or not Star Trek 09 is the best written of the movies, what Star Trek 09 as a movie on the whole did, inclusive of everything, you know, not just the script, is it um, did it act as like a stepping stone to get star trek the franchise into the modern era and i think that even if If even if if not here this is what i'm saying even even if star trek 09 is quote unquote bad i see that as the equivalent of like sacrificing a pawn in order to save your king you know and and the king will be saved when we get a new Star Trek series, which is written by, you know, someone who's really, really, really good and can tell the stories that they've been telling for the past 50 years, but can do it with um, a, 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 a formal style, uh, which is worthy of the 21st century.
1: And I like that you used the King analogy because I would absolutely It's exactly what's going on. A pawn has been sacrificed in order to preserve a royal line.
0: And 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 there
1: is a point when you kill the royal line. You end it in order to create a better government. And what we have is a royal line that has become very complacent, and they do nothing
0: except absorb taxes. Well, that, I would say, has been true. Well, okay, if I were to agree with that, based on your analysis... I would have to say that that has been going on since 1999. I would agree. Yeah. And I think that
1: saying that any attempt to keep this thing going now, doesn't, it doesn't temper anything that the attempt is valiant. No matter how noble the knight is who fights for this king, he's fighting for a corrupt king.
0: Maybe they're not trying to be valiant. Maybe, maybe the next people who come in will try to be defiant. Yes, and we're not going to get that. Okay. We're not going to get that because that's just not the way it works. Okay, but I would also say that you saying that Star Trek 09 is the moment when Star Trek became a weapon and the moment when No, no, it no, became... that's where
1: there was an opportunity... A very and significant an and serious opportunity to do some very significant positive changes. Okay, and instead of that, that opportunity was squandered.
0: Okay, because I would say that it became a weapon. If if I agreed with your analysis of this stuff, you know, if I agreed with what you were saying here, I would say that it became that weapon way earlier than two thousand and nine. probably I would say. Uh, when they used it to launch a new um, network you know Voyager. there are,
1: there are plenty of opportunities where where this occurred that's that's absolutely true but like any system when like like let's just use a royal royal line analogy the kingdom was in disrepair it was in collapse and the people stood around and waited for somebody to take charge
0: yeah and, and they I mean, should have just to be clear, I, I wasn't trying to go with the royal analogy. I was trying to make a chess analogy. Obviously, yes, but you know, but
1: I've but I've made <clears throat> I have I've have made this argument many times that what we are talking about is a thing that has outlived its usefulness. And the out when you outlive your usefulness, I mean, like the the argument that that history makes is that that's when you kill the king. Mm-hmm. When the when like the empire is no longer beneficial to the people when the king is no longer actually helping the community and he just becomes a sponge. Well, that's actually the result of previous Kings doing a good job. If the Kings are doing a good job, eventually they will have to be killed or step down. Perhaps that's just the way it works. If the culture evolves to the point where it no longer needs it, then that's where it ends. And I think Star Trek reached that point around 1992
0: that could be but if you look at the stuff it should have departed but if you look at the stuff that we've gotten after 1992 i'm willing to take the bad in order to get the good and i think
1: that the problem is that we're getting less good the good is diminishing and we, we we long ago hit peak good Perhaps, but we are I would... Now getting, we are now getting little scraps of good because but, that, that take a lot more bad in order to get.
0: Perhaps, but I would also say that we're on an upswing. Would you Would you not say, and I guess this is something which I've never asked you, would you not say that the Abrams movies are better than Voyager and Enterprise? Um, I would say
1: better than some Voyager,
0: better Obvi- than obviously. Enterprise. Right, And and so I think... I think that we're, the pendulum is swinging in the other direction. How many analogies can we use in this particular...
1: I can work six more in. <laughs> okay. but, uh, but the thing is that what I'm talking about here is is that this is like a legitimate philosophical concept, and I want to just make this very clear. No matter how much energy you put into this, you're not going to get it to go higher than it went before. I don't know. This pendulum might swing upwards and downwards I mean,
0: forever, It happened- but... It it's happened with lost Batman energy. It happened with Batman. Are you telling me that it, the pendulum didn't stop swinging with with Batman and Robin? Oh no, no, it absolutely did. And the
1: opportunity to throw out everything wrong with it and embrace yeah. everything good about it was taken. Yeah. Because there was nothing to
0: lose. Right. When there is
1: nothing to lose, there is an opportunity to do something great. And that is not what has happened. Because for whatever reason, the desire to maintain the existing fan base was considered important. And the existing fan base was largely placated by essentially not being alienated. And the non-existing fan base, the new fans, were created by not being alienating. And there is a thing present in any form of media when you must bring in new people it's hard to argue that you need to do something that might alienate people
0: well perhaps
1: and alienation is
0: absolutely crucial
1: for anything art if you're making a work of art and everyone agrees with you then you're not making
0: art okay but see here's the thing too and and I th- and we'll get into this in a second as well with into darkness but is it possible that With Star Trek 09, what you're doing is you're bringing in that new audience, and that's the spoonful of sugar that you're giving them. And then starting with Into Darkness and, you know, kind of moving forward, perhaps we are going to get into the alienation and the um, tough lessons that that Star Trek has to teach its new audience. You know, you you bring them in with something fun and cool, and then once they're here and once they're hooked... Then you give them the medicine. I
1: that would that's be lovely. another
0: another analogy. That there, would be
1: lovely. That's not what's happening. Well, we and, shall and see. The reason it's not what's happening is because Star Trek is not. It doesn't. It just doesn't work that way. Well, the franchise essentially has become too big, in order to do anything radical, and that's what Star Trek was so good about. That, that's what that what its main strength was. When it was created, it was a show that said. Things that people were upset about. It did things that people were angry about. It it made enemies. And in order to make change, you have to make enemies. And we have gone from a Star Trek that was part of a transformation of a culture to a Star Trek that is rather entertaining to some people.
0: Well, I think that... that we, we have lost back the, there.
1: The, this incredible thing that Star Trek was. And you know, what would get, you know what would get us that again? Radical political statements that people
0: would be upset about. Well, I mean, with Roberto Orsi at the helm, maybe. <laughs> I would
1: absolutely love it if Roberto Orsi legitimately had all the power that a person in his office is supposed to have. Yeah, But that's just not the way the studio system works. No matter how much power he might have over this movie, this movie will not be...
0: It will not have the freedom to alienate its audience. So then maybe, like I was saying before, the thing to, to happen, the best thing that can happen, and, and I, I do enjoy these movies quite a bit, and I think that, that they do offer a lot um, beyond entertainment, but maybe the best thing that can happen is Roberto Orsi making the the movie or the franchise popular enough to get it back on the air and get it into a little corner of uh, the 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 media landscape, where it can start being subversive in doing that, um, kind of under the radar, where you know the heads of of studios aren't going to be scrutinizing every last detail.
1: That's they're making an argument that 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 it's possible to do that, and I I really don't think that it's possible to do that because I mean there is there is definitely a legitimate, difficult to quantify, but but undeniable reality that that there are factors in the creation of a thing that cannot be precisely measured, but there are absolutely arcs and patterns and structures that are bolstered and weakened and evolve. And Star Trek has evolved in a particular direction for a very long time without really anybody ever sitting down and deciding what those things were. It went in a direction. And the direction that it went in was very specific. And there was a point when the resources of that particular property were largely expended. And at that point... It had to change in order to survive. And the change that it made to survive was to purge the elements that made it possible to be revolutionary. In Star Trek, no matter what, a crazy person with a crazy possessed typewriter and a bunch of really crazy people who were willing to go along with his crazy plan to do whatever, no matter what, it is very hard to imagine a scenario in which it is possible to turn this thing into the radically challenging science fiction tale that it once was.
0: Okay. I mean, just to to sort of wrap up this, this movie, you know, and I'll just say that I understand what it is you're saying. I don't think that that's happening, but even if it were happening, I don't see why it would be so hard to get it back to what it was. If they were able to do it in 1994, they could do it now, because I, I mean, just looking at the television programming which is out there now, I see a lot more of that kind of thing going on than I did back in the '90s.
1: Look at the economy. Look at the look at the the the, the fragmentation of of media outlets. Look at the 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 bizarre unification of other media outlets from history. There are now millions of media outlets and huge chunks of them are owned by very small groups of people and they are run by very small, even smaller groups of people. And the resources required in order to do a science fiction show that is as challenging as Star Trek
0: was do not exist yeah, I disagree. in Star Trek. I, I disagree. In order I mean, for Star think, Trek to I get think there again... we can find parallels.
1: In order for it to get to that point, it would need to fail hard. I think it already did that. I, I, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it failing hard. It, I would, I'm talking about a, a massive box office failure. I'm talking about people not seeing into darkness. I'm talking about like, like legitimately huge
0: losses of money... I think that television is a different beast. And I think if you have an audience there, they don't really care what you do. I think that we're seeing that. That's not, that's not the world. That's not the world. Well, I, think, I think we see that a lot with, with you know, um, what's on TV now.
1: But that's not the world. Like, the, what's on TV now is still struggling with the same problem that, that, that Star Trek has. It's, alwe- it's always been a problem. Like, the idea that a thing can't be revolutionary because it alienates the audience, which means it's not going to make the money back. It's, it's a constant problem in everything. And the best thing about Star Trek was that it survived despite that. I mean, what do you think Battlestar Galactica did? It dodged the problem.
0: I don't see that happening, but whatever. Oh okay, so so let's let's take a break from Star Trek for just a moment and talk about J.J. Abrams' third movie, which came in 2011, and that was Super, Super 8. Super 3. Super 8. 3. Super 8. It's fun to say 3. Okay. What were your thoughts on Super 8?
1: I think it's the most solid movie that J.J. J. Abrams has made. It's not particularly significant.
0: okay. I, I think it's the the least solid movie that he's made. Um but I still think that it is a decent film. Um I do like the um stylistic choices in order to sort of um uh grasp that that uh that essence of of 70s and 80s Spielberg and also grasp the the essence of that era. It's
1: definitely 80s Spielberg.
0: Yeah. He didn't get into the
1: suburbs until later.
0: I I, I do Think though that that movie's strengths involve the characters and and uh, the personal stories and the uh, sci-fi elements are actually kind of weak and distracting from uh, what's really going on. I would say that's true of all of
1: J.J. Abrams' things. Um, His science fiction is kind of weak. Like he he uses science fiction a lot, and he doesn't really have the I, I don't think he has the imagination to come up with something really interesting.
0: I, I think that he can do sci-fi well, but I think that he does uh, drama, character stuff better, personal drama better. I,
1: and that—that's I think that's a problem. I mean, when when, when your when when your science fiction franchise requires uh, that the characters be the main thing and the science fiction is no longer particularly important, then. Well, I'm not Why saying, are those spaceships? I'm not saying that it's not
0: important. <laughs> I'm just saying that it might not be as, as good sometimes uh, as it should be. But, um, I mean, I, I would love to see him do a uh, a non-sci-fi, just small little movie, kind of like John Favreau just did with Chef. You know, I think that would be cool. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've had that little reprieve, let's go back to Star Trek for... J.J. Abrams' final movie to date, which was last year's Star Trek Into Darkness. Yep. Um, and what are your thoughts on on that?
1: It, to a great extent, it's got all the same problems of the first one. It's, it's lots of flashy. Very little thing to be deserving of flashiness.
0: Okay. I mean, again, I disagree. While I don't think that it's as good as the original, um, I do think that it is extremely good. I also think that uh, it does a good job of sort of dealing with um, social issues from, you know, uh, current events and, and, and things that we're, we're dealing with. And and um, I, I, I appreciate that they tried to do that with this one, where they didn't try to do it so much with the last one. And, and I think that it does give you uh, something, you know, interesting to think about. And uh, the con thing... I mean, I don't have a problem at all with them using Khan. I do think that there were a few missteps uh, in in regards to uh, how they handled him and how much of it, you know, paralleled what was going on in Wrath of Khan and and all that stuff. And there were a few moments in there where it's like, you've gone a bit too far. I see what you're trying to do. You've gone a bit too far. But on the whole, I mean, aside from those those few little minor moments, I I don't... um, Think that you can fault the overall story for that, um, it still works pretty well for me, and and I do think that you know, while not nearly as good as Star Trek 09, it is a very solid movie. Uh,
1: you've mentioned this on a couple of occasions, but like the idea that that movie is that has that movie has a political commentary, it doesn't, it definitely it really does. doesn't. I mean, it's certainly
0: more so than than most Star Trek, no, um, yeah, no, oh, yeah, no, for sure, no.
1: Not even, not even, not even close. Okay. There's, that's absurd. The, the, the political where's, element where's in the, Into Darkness is like friggin, I'm trying to think of an example that is ridiculously simple. Where's the political commentary simple. in
0: Star Trek Nemesis?
1: Oh, I would agree that there's definitely places where it's worse.
0: Where it's worse. Where yes. Nemesis is worse. Okay. Yeah, probably.
1: Um, probably. Eh, yeah, yeah, about the same. The problem is that there's not much there. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's absent. I'm saying that if you're gonna say
0: that it's got this going on, it's very, very, very weak. Well, the movie has a lot of other things going on in it. Besides, it's not like it's it's you know relying on the political uh, commentary, right? But because that if, is you, a, that if you if you don't an ab- element to if, the story, but if you I think don't the ab- main thrust of the movie is sort of about. Um, the relationship between Kirk and Spock. And there's a lot to be um, uh, taken from that.
1: So if you, hypothetically, disagree with the political point of view of the movie,
0: does that affect your ability to enjoy it? I, I would imagine it would, yeah. I
1: have not seen this. I have seen people who have not even noticed the political commentary, the really subtle little political commentary that basically maybe kind of... Relates to like American geopolitics in foreign countries, maybe like a little bit, like a hair of that. I think people who disagree don't notice it because that's how weak it is.
0: Okay, well, I I think that maybe those people aren't paying attention, but I think that's kind of a standard thing that happens. I think that's why a movie like Star Trek is able to, you know, get through the the cracks like that. I mean, that's what they—that's the whole point of it. That's what they said they did on the original series was they were like we want to deal with these issues that they won't let us deal with in primetime time. TV. So you code them. So you code them. You put yeah. it in space and then there and, it is.
1: And what you end up with is a thing that changes things. If it's actually there. And the problem with the commentary that you're talking about in Into Darkness
0: is that if you remove it, nothing changes. I, I don't see how that's true. But whatever, I mean, I don't see how you have a villain in the movie if you remove it. You know, I don't see how you have an arc for your main character if you remove it.
1: What, what do you mean? How do you? There's no, there's no arc for your main character.
0: You don't think so? That's there's crazy. absolutely no arc
1: for your main character. Okay,
0: well, that I see as, as being <sighs> ridiculous and, and sort of a misreading of what's going on in the movie. Oh, but God. whatever, I mean, I can totally see that for, for Kirk. Okay. I mean, look, I mean I mean, we can break it down right now if you want,
1: no, because we've been through this and and the main thing that we've done over and over again whenever we do this is that you break down like this character arc, and I say that's really the of the complexity of like a. Comic strip.
0: Okay. Well, I disagree with that. And regardless, even if it is the complexity of a comic strip, which it's not four panels um, of complexity, it's still there. You're saying that it's not there. It is there. Okay. Okay. And and it, it does. It is relevant and it is uh, worthy of discussion. But.
1: I think it's. I think it's depressing when that is considered sufficient. I I don't I don't I don't give movies thumbs up because they. Tick the
0: necessary boxes, but there's a lot more. Like I said, there's a lot more going on in it than just that. You know, there's a, there's a yeah. lot of little things going on in that movie, which when you put them all together, equals one really cool big thing. So
1: yeah, I, I I've heard you quantify it before, and what I hear is a whole bunch of really tiny insignificant boxes.
0: All right, so moving on to J.J. J. Abrams's future projects. He's got a movie which he's working on right now. It's called Star Wars Episode 7. He's co-writing it with Lawrence Kasdan, the guy who wrote The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, it is going to be coming out uh, ab- about a year from now, December of 2015. So, um, what are your uh, hopes and dreams or um uh fears or or whatever for for Star Wars. I have none of those things. Episode 7.
1: I have no none of those things. Okay. I don't have any hopes. I don't have any fears. I don't have any concerns. I have no feelings about this. Uh it's this is another franchise that has outlived its usefulness. And just and I mean like honestly, I think that it's even more depressing with Star Wars because Star Wars basically informs the audience in the first two movies that there will be a point where you will have to discard this franchise. And the idea that after all this time it's still going clearly to me indicates that the fans weren't paying attention.
0: Okay, yeah. I I think that uh, while I do enjoy all of the, the Star Wars movies that have come before, I see what's happening with, J.J. J. Abrams and, and the rest of the people who are now making Star Wars as a, sort of a a renaissance in that franchise. I, I see them realizing what what it was that made the original movie so great and sort of embracing those qualities and uh, making part of, something...
1: Part of that is not embracing those qualities.
0: If, that could be. And, and making something which... Uh, is going to stand up to those other movies. And I think it's really kind of interesting how, I mean, I guess it is similar to what he did with um, Star Trek in that he's going back to the original source material and bringing in, you know, the the original characters and everything like that. But unlike that, I think, you know, stylistically and, and in terms of like... Um, Filmmaking. what we're seeing here is the opposite of what he did with Star Trek. Whereas with Star Trek, he was like, I need to revamp stylistically what's going on in this franchise and make it something new. Whereas in this one, he's like, it got revamped into something weird. Now I need to strip all that out of it and bring that back to basics too and, and make this um, more uh, like... What the original was, since the original was damn near perfect. So, yeah, that that's not... in addition to the fact that, I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> I will go see anything that that J.J. Abrams does because to me, his track record is stellar. And I cannot wait for uh, Star Wars Episode 7 as well as the other Star Wars movies, but Star Wars Episode 7 in particular because I, I have so much faith in the people involved, including J.J. So there's that. Um,
1: Star Wars is basically about revolution. And now there is absolutely no way to be revolutionary in it. No matter what you do, you can't change it. Like, you, you, you seem to be on the impression that these people can actually do something good in this system. The system makes it impossible.
0: Okay. Well, I think that you will be proven wrong on December 18th, 2015, or whatever it is. Sure. Okay, so any final thoughts on J.J. Abrams' career as a filmmaker?
1: Uh, I think, like a lot of people who are not satisfied with the Star Trek reboot, uh, I I would agree with many of the words used. But I think that the reality that what we have is not particularly impressive is, is a much bigger problem than one guy. I don't think that J.J. Abrams is at fault for these movies being banal. I think that the studio system is, and I think that Star Trek being very old is, and I think that when you, when you have a person involved who's largely responsible for it, well, that person can make mistakes. And the, the ability of that person to make mistakes that then hurt the thing is actually a very important asset. If you lose that by bringing in enough people to keep it going and keep it alive, then you lose the possibility for it to be revolutionary. And that is exactly what happens with everything eventually. And I think it happened with Star Wars a long time ago, and I think it happened with Star Trek a few years ago, of course, it did happen with Star Trek a couple other times, but I think the really big change was toward the end of Rick Berman's time on Enterprise. When when Rick Berman was no longer able to screw things up really hard because other people were covering him, Star Trek became incapable of radical change.
0: Okay. For me, uh, I've said this before, but whatever it is, J.J. J. Abrams... And I seem to be on the same wavelength when it comes to what it is that makes a movie good. All of his TV shows, all of his movies, um, pretty much everything that he's done has been stuff where I've been like, wow, you know, like he gets it, you know, in a way that like, there, you know, a lot of times like I'll see something and be like, oh, well, that was interesting, but... There was this one little thing where it's like I don't quite understand why they did that, but with JJ, like everything that he does, I'm just like constantly impressed by it. By it you know, because of that, I'm I'm very much looking forward to um, anything that he he has uh, up up his sleeve for for the future. But specifically Star Wars, and Star Wars is you know. One of my favorite things, I'm very excited to see one of my favorite filmmakers uh, uh, tackle that material. So, yes, I'm a huge fan of J.J. Abrams. I love what he did for Star Trek, and I can't wait to see uh, what he's going to do for Star Wars. Well, it's been fun talking about J.J. Abrams today, but that's not all that we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.FM. Standard orbit.
0: We're on the same page. Yes. High five. This is creepy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) We actually did it too. You guys missed a high
0: five through the camera, so that was (laughs) embarrassing. But whatever. Continuing mission. I feel like this, like that's a really great idea for a stoner movie. So (laughs) maybe for the next project, I don't know. And the name of the film will be Giant Green Lazy Susan. There you go. Earl Gray. VHS Star Trek Interactive board oh, I'm game. I'm so glad you the humans have up. taken over the Enterprise. You now have 30 minutes to stop <laughs> me. <laughs> the ready room. He says, I think your
1: compassion for this species is overriding your judgment. And Archer says, my compassion guides my judgment. Mm-hmm. And I really like that line because I felt like that really just kind of sums everything up. The orb.
0: So imagine we didn't have Opaka. Imagine we had Kai win from the very beginning. How do you think the setup of the series would have been? Axonar, the
1: official podcast.
0: So is the full length Axonar going
1: to be in the same style, the same documentary style as Prelude to Axonar? And the answer is no, no, absolutely not.
0: Axonar itself will be a full length movie, a feature movie, just like
1: you would, you know, any other Star Trek movie or other movie. To the journey. <laughs> Cable is definitely more suited toward a niche show like Star Trek is. Compared to broadcast, yes, I think it's... Yeah, absolutely. It's much more probable that we would see it on, say, uh, AMC than we would on NBC. Commentary, Trek Stars. When Star Trek 2009 came out, I made a joke to somebody at some point that J.J. Abrams got all of his lens flares from Close Encounters Surplus. Yeah. But they just didn't use them all, and he just bought them at some sort of, maybe a garage sale or something.
0: Warp 5. You know pretty well which way the insectoids and the reptilians are yeah. are going to come down on any issue. It's it's left up to the indecisive one. Instead of the, the 12 angry men, it's the 6 angry Zindi. Melodic Treks. Now, as I mentioned, he wrote and conducted the
1: scores for two episodes of Star Trek Enterprise in the second season. They are Kanima and Regeneration. And Regeneration is one of the best episodes of Star Trek Enterprise ever, in my humble opinion. Literary Treks. We're trying to keep it light. We're trying to keep it personable. We're trying to keep it fun. If Vanguard, you know, was all about being the Battlestar Galactica reboot of of Star Trek, this is more about trying to be the
0: Eureka or the Warehouse
1: 13. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: Check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune. Or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. So we have some feedback today. We've got two letters from people. The first is from our old friend, Crazy Man. He's so crazy. The subject is... The Alternate Motion Picture. He says, Hey guys, in your J.J. Abrams episode, your guest, I think he's talking about Matt, said some rather slanderous things about the towering cinematic masterwork that is Star Trek The Motion Picture. Now, I'm not blaming your guest, as he was merely bringing up popularized myths about the film. I suspect a lot of this slander comes from Harve Bennett, who wants to be seen as the savior of Star Trek, and because he took over for Wrath of Khan, it's an easy narrative for him to sucker people into believing. So let's clear up some some things. Number one, what's the wait? What is the complaint being? In, what 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 was said? Well, he's he's gonna go over. No, but right. what, I mean, what
1: what was the comment that that was made about the motion picture?
0: He he basically said, I think that. Um, we were talking about how uh, Star Trek 09 was kind of a reinvention of the franchise in order to bring in a new audience and stuff like that and, and make yeah. it big and how... Well, I was saying that, the, Star Trek, that the they're motion kind of picture the same... They kind of have the same thing. job. Yeah, and like Star Trek The Motion Picture did the same thing. Yeah. And we, we had said that uh, the difference was that Star Trek 09... Uh, was able to reach a much larger o- audience and go much more um, mainstream than the motion picture was. And Crazy Man is saying that's not the case. Oh, and here he's saying, I know. well, well, he's he's going to get into why. All right. Number one, the motion picture sold 56 million tickets worldwide. This is still the most attended Star Trek film. J.J. J. Abrams' Star Trek did not introduce the series to a larger audience than ever before, or to a mainstream audience trek never attracted it had yeah but i think there are some lurking variables there like i don't follow the the logic video and stuff
1: no but what are the um i don't know all the numbers but like that the motion
0: picture has been seen by more people it's it's, they sold more tickets theatrically anyway but there's home video so that's you know that's a, a whole thing too Number two, adjusted for inflation, the motion picture stands at $456 million, a figure that was only surpassed by Into Darkness as the highest-grossing Star Trek film, and Into Darkness only surpassed it due to 3D ticket prices. It still didn't pass the motion picture in attendance, despite massive new markets like China and Russia. Yeah, but then again, back in 1979, people didn't have VCRs, you know? So, sure. Still, I mean, I'm
1: surprised that 4 wasn't more successful. I always thought that 4 well, was the most successful of the it, original cast films. Four,
0: It was in terms of actual money, but in terms of adjusted dollars, I don't think it was. Maybe Motion Picture did better than 4, but I don't think so. Anyway, number three. The Motion Picture made $140 million worldwide on a $35 million budget. That is four times its return of investment. Abrams' film made just over twice their return on investment okay is but i think that like star trek 2 did even more than that because it costs so much less
1: i wonder i mean like i don't know the 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 grosses for any of these movies yeah because i don't really care yeah but like i i do know that like four did really well yeah and six did hardly anything compared to other movies in the series that were much better which is kind of depressing but like i don't really know the numbers Mm -hmm. who knows these numbers Mm-hmm. Is it possible the crazy
0: man is Rain Man? You go to boxofficemojo.com. Oh, that seems know. like a burden. I don't want to do that. All right. Uh, we Trek fans have a lot to be thankful for with regards to the motion picture. If it wasn't for the motion picture, Trek likely would not have lasted as long as it has. They would have made Phase 2, and that would probably have lasted a season or two before it got canceled, and that would have been that. I'm not sure that that's true, but, I mean, there's no way to know i think that even if they had made phase two um star wars would have come along and then they would have said oh maybe we should make a movie now
1: i think that's look that's a butterfly effect man like either way it it would be radically different there's no way to know what would change but like almost everything would change who knows man maybe if phase two came out maybe now there'd be like six star trek series on tv and one of them would be a cartoon, and for kids, and one of them would be a cartoon, and it would be on Cinemax with lots of boobs.
0: They Who don't knows? do that on Cinemax anymore. They don't? No, no, they're legitimate. They make the Nick. I know. It's the end of an era. But what can you do?
1: I don't really care. Um, That's interesting.
0: So please, Trek fans of the world, show a little respect for Robert Wise's sci-fi opus. I mean, okay. And actually, we're going to be showing a little respect for Robert Wise's sci-fi opus in a, in a few weeks. We're going to be tackling um
1: I don't remember saying anything bad about Robert it. Wise. No. I mean, it's
0: no. boring. Yeah. But, but it, it's it it's certainly smarter than on. 2009. He continues. Certainly Ma-
1: enough, it's much worse ed- edited. Yes. Which is funny.
0: <laughs> he continues. Mike, if you like alternate movie histories, uh, check out the book's Tales from Development Hell, and The Greatest Sci-Fi Movies Never Made, both by David Hughes. The sci-fi one has an entire chapter devoted to the Star Trek series, including Star Trek Academy film pitched around the time of uh, The Final Frontier and the Pillar script you discussed on your Insurrection commentary. Um, Yeah, we actually did a whole episode on the Star Trek Academy uh, script from the writer of... Lakeview Terrace.
1: I would also recommend Tales from Development Hall, because when I read that, that was a big deal, and that was, that was a long time ago. Yeah. And when I'm talking about how behind the scenes, the studio system makes things impossible, mm-hmm. I'm, some, of the, I'm, some of it I'm referencing from that book. Yeah. Because there are things that happen behind the scenes that make a radically reinvented and revolutionary Star Trek impossible, no matter who's involved. Yeah. And the evidence is in books like that, specifically that book, because I haven't read the sci-fi one
0: yeah um if you if you go over to standard orbit we did do a star trek academy um movie episode where we kind of look at you know what that was going to be and it's kind of interesting very similar in a lot of ways to star trek o nine um yeah and and the insurrection commentary uh you can find over on commentary dot com we'll get into that more in a second but we uh talk a lot about um uh, the stuff that was in the Michael Pillar book yeah. about the making of Insurrection. So a lot of behind-the-scenes information about Insurrection on that commentary.
1: Most of it's pretty sad.
0: Yeah. He concludes, Cheers, crazy for CTS, man. Get it? Because you were like, oh, he's not crazy. But he is crazy. He's crazy for CTS. Thanks, crazy man. We got another uh, letter. This week, from Chris from San Antonio. He says, Just finished episode 94. I'm not a big fan of Super 8, but it did look like a Spielberg film. Also, thanks for clearing up how Max judges a film, defining like and good helped as well. In the last episode of commentary, Max made reference to Star Trek 3 and Star Trek 5, 3 being bad, 5 as being a good idea, but executed poorly, but he would rather hang out with five. What was so bad about Star Trek Three? It is personally one of my favorite original films.
1: It's professionally one of my least.
0: Okay. <laughs> Mike, I listened to your commentary on Star Trek 09, and I agree with your assessment. I tend to break up the Trek films now like I do the Bond films. I think Star Trek 09 is the best of the J.J. Trek films so far, Star Trek II is the best of the original films, with Star Trek VI being a close second, and First Contact is the best of the Next Generation films. Are you planning on doing a commentary for Into Darkness? And last, I think an Alien supplemental commentary would be great for Max to do. I would like to hear his analysis as to how and why it's the perfect sequel or franchise film. Thanks, and keep up the great work. All right, well thanks CB. Let's let's go back and uh start at the beginning here. Okay. Yes. The whole Max uh defining what's good and what he likes and everything like that. I find that to be really interesting too. And especially a- after episodes like this where Max is um, you know, kind of uh depressed by by the state of of movies and franchises and everything like that. I think that it would be cool if we started a segment, maybe as, as, a, as a, a, a Patreon incentive, um, to, to, to have a thing. Now, I know that you're going to not like this title, but what can I say? Formally, it's best. It rolls off the tongue really nicely. Movies Max likes. Nope. Movies Max thinks are good. Nah. This is my idea, okay? We, we have a segment where it's it's just it's just a few minutes long but each week max you come with a movie that you think is good not doesn't have anything to do with Star Trek necessarily although it could be you know maybe it's a Star Trek episode that you think is really good although i think that a lot of people are on the same page with those and they could be things that you know, maybe no one's ever heard of, or things that most people think are terrible, look, I, or look, whatever. I don't know what you're going with this, but
1: I, I have tried to figure out how to do this, uh-huh. and I keep coming up against the same problems. Which is? Because I can say that there's a difference between things that are good and things that I
0: like, but in order to describe things that are good, I have to define good. Sure, and maybe we could uh, have like little footnotes where we talk about what your definition of good is. The whole point of this is that if I'm just sitting here
1: talking, then I'm not going to be able to explain what I'm talking about because I don't, I don't come to movies as a person coming to see a movie. I come with a history of being interested in how movies exist and how storytelling works and, uh, and a philosophical groundwork for what meaning is. And, and like I'm not kidding when I say I think about Descartes when I'm watching a movie. And that's fine. And look, this is what I'm saying. And I can't start without explaining that. And I don't know how to do that in a way that fits into any running time.
0: Well, maybe it can be a challenge for you. I know, look, we've talked about this before. maybe, Maybe the thing to do, okay, is not say why you think the movie's good. Just say, this movie is good. I'm going to talk about this movie. And then you can talk about, you know, it's use of cheese whiz if you want, you know.
1: It's much more complicated than that.
0: Look, this is what we do. This is what we do every week. Yes. How hard can it possibly be? It's astonishingly hard. Okay.
1: I have I have actually attempted to do this on a number of occasions and, and the same trap always happens. I start by saying, I'm going to explain this thing and I'm going to talk about it. And it happens with lots of subjects.
0: Okay. And it, like, the, the most funny think, one think, is my time travel one. I think you're, you're overthinking this way too much. I, oh, that's I think absolutely I absolutely true. You're making this have we met? way more complicated than that it is needs sort of my to thing. be. Okay. This, this is all I'm saying, right? Hey, shit. I, I've talked to you enough that I know what movies you think are good. I can pick the movie and but we you don't can know talk why. about it. No, we don't know why, which is why we have you on the show. Okay, it's not just going to be me saying this is a movie that Max thinks is good. Right. Frack if I know why. That's the problem. You know, in order, to, I'm not talking about things that I like. I think I find good. I'm talking
1: about things like what good is, and in order to do that, I can't just talk about what's
0: good. Well, then maybe we can make um, a, a weekly se- segment where it's like, um, what Max thinks good is. No. Okay, so. So then, for Star Trek, Star Trek three and Star Trek five, why do you, what was so bad about Star Trek three? That's his question. Star
1: Trek three is, is in, a, in a very sort of um, abstract sense, largely about the deification of idiocy and the vilification of cleverness, and a desire on the part of many people to discount the significance of intelligence.
0: In other words, you don't like the fact that they took the Genesis device and turned that into a failure instead of an achievement it's
1: much more complicated than that.
0: but there that, that i mean to, to put it into to english you
1: know no because there's also no there's a huge amount of stuff and it all fits together in a very weird way it's like a web of dumb there there's a, there's a whole network of of significances that are that are assembled by star trek 2 and that network is systematically disassembled by Star Trek Three, and it is disassembled like a child with a hammer would disassemble something. It is essentially just smashed to bits.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree that it does sort of um, Alien Three, uh, Star Trek Two. It's it's so much worse than that. Uh, well, I, I I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but um, well, actually, I probably would agree with that, but I think that. On the whole, the thing that they created is is better than Alien 3. But, yeah, I mean, there's the whole thing with Spock coming back to life. That's a problem. And, 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 and all that stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely, you know, something where, you know, I, I never had those problems with Star Trek 3 because I saw them both for the first time back to back. So I never really had a chance to process Star Trek 2 as its own thing. before you know um, i'll be honest
1: i don't i don't know when i first saw star trek 2 or star trek 3 like my memories of it are are very blurry i might have seen them back to back no probably not but i i i can't i couldn't tell you where but but you
0: but you thought about star trek 2 as its own thing instead of just uh you know um looking at it as like a a hole in the franchise as as a piece of of the puzzle in the franchise and i think that that um, is an interesting perspective to take, and, and uh, in doing so, you know, you can see that Star Trek Three does kind of, quote-unquote, ruin Star Trek I, I Two. Don't, I don't get how that isn't obvious, because, I mean,
1: like, the series at this point, it's like, Star Trek The Motion Picture, and then Rathacon, radically different things. It's almost as though they're different things, like, entirely different properties. It actually feels kind of like one is a sequel to a different show. Mm -hmm. it it, it would not be unreasonable for Star Trek 2 to at the beginning of it say Star Trek the motion picture second try yeah that would not be a crazy thing to do because so little of motion picture matters for the rest of the movies right but the 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 idea that you see 2 and 3 and 4 as being part of some sort of weird bizarre trilogy where they where Spock dies, and then he comes back to life because of a magic planet, and then they go back in time to save some whales. I mean, that's an insane trilogy, and no, I don't I know agree. why people think that that's a trilogy because it's clearly they just connected up to the ending of the last one because that seemed like the cool thing to do at the time. Yeah, and. And when you get to five, how is that not part of it? Because it connects up perfectly. They yeah. even get in there's even the same shot in it. So yeah. why is this connected tissue there? Like why is it that people think of two and three as connected when
0: obviously they're well,
1: radically I, I can separated. See, I can see
0: why people think of two and three as connected, because two ends with Spock dying and then three is about him coming back.
1: But I mean like like the, the, the whole scenario like the whole world changes. Like yeah. it goes from like 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 a like a like a, a movie about people on a spaceship to a movie about people with like magic souls and like a secret mystical cave thing. I mean, it's it's bizarre. It becomes the freaking dark crystal in twenty minutes. You, you know? go from a science fiction show with spaceships to um, magical ghost people and and psychic powers. It's crazy. I mean, like, I, if, if there was a two-parter of X-Files where one episode had to do with aliens and the other one had to do with some guy coming back to life because of maybe, like, some crystals and some mold, that's the level of absurdity that that, that, that two-parter has. Yeah. I don't I, know why anybody would ever think of those things as being connected.
0: Well, I mean, I think because of the, the, the obvious reasons. You know, Spock is, is what it is. But... Um Regardless of that, you know, I never, whether or not they were, it was a two-parter or a sequel or everything, I, I saw it as, you know, one giant story, like all of Star Trek is one giant story. And, you know, this thing happening, and, and kind of like, uh, you know, sort of like what they did on, on Deep Space Nine where they blew up the Defiant knowing that they were going to bring her back in the next episode or whatever. You know, and, and here, you know, they kill Spock. No, there was like three episodes. Maybe. You, you, they, kill, <laughs> they kill Spock and you know that he's going to be back in the next episode. And because of that, I never really thought of, of uh, sort of what it was that they did in Star Trek Two, or what it was they were trying to do. It seemed more like a comic book death. You know, it was like the death of Superman, where it's like, yeah, well, we already are making plans for him to come back. And while they were, yeah. maybe the people who were actually making Star Trek Two weren't making plans for him to come back. And well, we know that that's true. That's, yeah, and that's significant. And uh, it really sort of informs uh, your viewing of Star Trek Two or my viewing of Star Trek Two now in a way that it hadn't before. And because of that, You can kind of see a lot of that stuff being um, diminished in Star Trek 3 and by Star Trek 3. And because of that, I can totally see where you're coming from with Star Trek 3. That being said, I enjoy it.
1: I find it very weird because to me, Star Trek 2 is a movie that has like a very particular subtext. And like the idea that at the end of that movie, like they continue the story, but like this whole conceptual, subtextual thread. It's just abandoned. Sure, but it's very surprising and okay, shocking to yes. me. Yes,
0: and if I had seen that them for the first time now, I'd probably pick up on that. Seeing them for the first time as a twelve-year-old, I think that some of that subtext about you know life and death and growing older and everything might have been lost on me. I don't think that I'm alone here. I think that most people uh, look at it the same way that I do, ex- except for maybe people who saw Star Trek Two. Back when it came out.
1: Honestly, you know, I tried, I, I looked online to try to find some sort of evidence that there are other people who are talking about the same things. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't do this for years. You know, I'm not, I'm not Tenuto, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have that kind of like research discipline. Yeah.
0: But I haven't found anything yet. Well, we'll see. Maybe we can talk to, to John and, and Larry and see what they were thinking um, about Star Trek three when it came out. That would be nice. So in terms of uh, Max doing um, uh, a supplemental commentary of Aliens, where he um, analyzes it and everything like that, I would be all for that. I think that that would be a really cool thing. However, um, for those people who don't know, uh, we have an Aliens commentary. We have 182 commentaries for movies up on our website, commentarytrackstars.com. Magical
1: 182.
0: But We we did all the Star Trek movies. Um, We've got a lot of Star Trek episodes on there and uh, a lot of other movies, too. And we've got a lot of people from Trek FM who have uh, joined us for these various things. We have Drew on to talk to us about Children of Men and Inception and Star Wars. We have uh, Charlene on to talk about the motion picture And Office Space, we've got Colin on to talk about Blade 2 and Star Trek 5. So, you know, there's lots of stuff over there. Just go to CommentaryTrackStars.com. It's a lot rawer, a a lot uh, more argumentative, rawer, rawer, a lot more argumentative. Um, uh, There's a lot more profanity, and it's a lot less tight because we're talking in real time. So, you know, all of the little... Things that happen, you know, um, over the span of two hours are just uh, left in. But uh, there's some interesting stuff over there. And I think this week, now what we do now is these uh, off topics where we talk about whatever we want to. And I think this week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what makes a movie good or not good. So uh, be sure to Thing. head over there, Chris, and, and check it out what makes a thing good or not good. And, uh, yeah, there is a commentary that we did on Aliens for you to, to check out, but I would be all for Max doing another Aliens commentary.
1: We actually spent most of that talking about our experience with sure. the franchise. And yeah.
0: So, so, uh, if and how it, terrifying that tube scene is. If Max wants to do a, a supplemental on Aliens, I would be all for that. I I, w- I would do that if I felt
1: that we had sufficiently covered the ground of what makes a thing good. Okay. That would be lovely because Well, we'll see if we'll see if we can that's cover a, That's a
0: rabbit hole, man. We'll we'll see if we can cover that ground this week on off topic. So be sure to go over there and check it out.
1: This will be an interesting experiment.
0: All right, well before we go, we would like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary Trek Stars to you each week and our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, including uh, some of the, the, the best Star Trek books ever written, like Prime Directive and Federation. Um, there's new titles coming each and every week. Uh, classics, current bestsellers, You name it. And uh, Audible has something for everyone. Including the adaptation of J.J. Abrams' latest masterpiece, Star Trek Into Darkness, which was written by Alan Dean Foster and narrated by Alice Eve. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but I figured we could talk about it again. Um, Pioneering director J.J. Abrams has delivered an explosive action thriller that takes Star Trek Into Darkness, When the crew of the Enterprise is called back home, they find an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization has detonated the fleet and everything it stands for, leaving our world in a state of crisis. With a personal score to settle, Captain Kirk leads a manhunt to a war zone world to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. A war zone world? Yeah. Kronos. A war zone world? Yes. Yes. This is embarrassing. As our heroes are (laughs) propelled into an epic chess game of life and death, love will be challenged, friendships will be torn apart, and sacrifices must be made for the only family Kirk has left, his crew. Oh, boy. What's the auditory version of a lens flare? And you can get this for free since you listen to Commentary Trek Stars. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you have yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting commentary Trek Stars and Trek.fm. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep commentary Trek Stars coming to you each and every week, and that's by adopting some aliens. Well, tribbles? No illustrations of, of aliens. No tribbles. They got triples? No, they don't. How come? I don't know. Um, if you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Toba Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on the website. They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which you would like and in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. So that's about it for J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Next week, we're going to take a little break from covering uh, people, um, because we're going to DragonCon. Uh, actually, it'll be uh, two days after um, this this episode drops. So if you're going to be at DragonCon on Sunday, hit us up on Twitter, at ComTrackStars, or email us at gmail.com and let us know, yep. and uh, we can say hi. And the reason why we're going down to Dragon Con is because this show is a finalist for uh, a Parsec Award for um, Best... Um, content creation show. Um, So we're going down there along with Drew from Standard Orbit who's nominated along with me for Best New Podcasting Team. And uh, yeah, we're going to see what happens. I don't think anything's going to happen, but you never know. Something might happen. Oh, I'm
1: pretty sure that I'm going to sweat the whole time.
0: (laughs) It is Atlanta. It's awful. So yeah, so we're going to be down there and uh, we're probably going to be recording some stuff along the way. And I think next week... We're going to do sort of a two part series, uh, beginning on our show and continuing on to Standard Orbit, uh, where we uh, look at our trip down to Dragon Con. So that's it for next week, and then we'll get back to other, s- other people uh, after that. Mm hmm. So thanks for joining us, and uh, we will talk to you later. See you.